The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey everyone, welcome to a good football show. I am Matt Straub. Today, we are turning our focus once again to the NFL Draft. And we'll be looking at the top wide receiver prospects and how their games might translate to the pros, plus the draft needs of the teams in the AFC South. I'm joined by Thor Nystrom and Hayden Winks, who, based on his Twitter timeline, has recently crawled out of an Amon Ra St. Brown-related internet wormhole. Hayden, I'm wondering, should we just rip up the format today and spend the next... 30 minutes or so talking about Amon Ross St. Brown's family. Yeah, it is one of the wildest things Uh, for you guys that don't know. His dad was Mr. Universe, a bodybuilder, and he won it twice in like the early like 1980s. And he he married this German woman who only speaks German to her kids. And they also know French. And they're also 4.0 students. And all three of them, there's three kids. It's like, it's it's basically like the NFL version of the, the ball family. But like they're insanely smart and like they're insane athletes. And like the dad had, there were some crazy clips about like how he only feeds them red meat and he makes two meals for dinner and they only eat like red meat for breakfast. And his dad had like an energy drink that he was trying to sell. The, the whole thing is just a wild story. But yeah, Amon Ross St. Brown, the genetics are there. I can confirm his dad was absolutely shredded. So that's going to be another one of these day two guys that kind of have my eye on. Hayden, did you find out if Amonra stretches? Because wasn't that a big thing with Equinemius's thing where he doesn't stretch? And then he said, because uh, cheetahs don't stretch before the hunt. Yep, that was one of the things. His dad forbids stretching. So I don't know if these college programs were like, all right, guys, we're going to try to touch our toes now. Uh, but it is interesting. Out of like, I watched a lot of Amonra St. Brown because I went to USC and everything about his game is like pretty vertical. He's extremely strong for a slot receiver, but if you were going to ding him, it is some of this like lateral quickness where he kind of is a little bit on the stiffer side. So I'm, I'm wondering if that, uh, that stretching thing kind of backfired on him, but I saw, I saw some high hopes where I think he'll be a starting uh, slot receiver in the NFL. It's wild. Hayden, I believe you reposted like a story from 2017 about the family. Highly encourage people to check that out. It's almost like every, every paragraph builds on the one before it with more things you half can't believe. <laughs> yes, it is, it is wild. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 
Well, let's get into this. Let's look at some of the top names on the draft board at wide receiver. Let's get it started with Jamar Chase. He opted out of the 2020 season, but when we last saw him during the 2019 season, he was putting up outrageous numbers, of course, for LSU. He had 1,780 yards and 20 touchdowns playing with Joe Burrow that season. Thor, hit us with your breakdown of what an NFL team is getting with Jamar Chase. Uh, perhaps the best wide receiver prospect in the class. Um, when in 2019, you know, people obviously we didn't see him in 2020. He opted out. But in uh, 2019, he was the outside receiver on perhaps the best uh, college football offense we've ever seen uh, catching balls from Joe Burrow. And Jamar Chase was better than the slot receiver on that team who happened to be Justin Jefferson, who happened to just have the best receiving season of any rookie in I mean, NFL history, maybe. Um, and so, like, you're talking about an uh, elite-level player just just there. And Jamar Chase was 19 years old that season. You know, when we talk a lot about a lot of uh, prospects in this draft, uh, Trey Lance and, and, and guys like that, numerous guys, you have to sort of parse this thing where a lot of these guys have opted out or they played less games in 2020. Jamar Chase is just another one of those. But his, 20, his 2019 tape and, and what he did there in that offense – um, was incredible. He's a guy who gets off the line very well. He's very well built. He is six one, so he's a little bit on on the shorter side, but built very well. And you do hear dings about his, his athleticism, but he is he's a very athletic kid. Like he's not unathletic. He'll run decently well. He's not going to be a four three guy, but he's a guy who can like do the thing where he's like when he's you know lying on his back on the field, and he can just hop up without using his arms or legs. You know, like the Zay Jones. Yeah, like that. Yeah. Anytime someone can do that, I'm just uber impressed because I could never even like conceive of getting there, you know? So like, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, he's an athletic kid, very fortified. Contact doesn't bother him at all, uh, which is, you know, the difference between him and and Devonta Smith. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, Breaks a lot of tackles after he gets uh, the ball and he has very good ball skills as well. Runs pretty solid routes. So there's a ton to like about him. The thing, again, that you're going to have to parse, uh, you know, him against Devonta. Devonta's coming off one of the great seasons that we've seen of any receiver for the last 25 years. And of course, Jamar Chase hasn't played in a year and they have very different games. So it's going to be interesting to parse those. But I like Jamar Chase a lot. His analytical profile is flawless. 99th percentile wide receiver prospect in my modeling. He's going to be a top 10 pick. And with the top three receivers that we'll talk about, and they all play kind of different positions. So it's kind of just like pick your flavor, whatever your team need is. Like if I was the Dolphins, for example, I already have Devontae Parker. I already have Preston Williams. I'd probably go with more of the the smaller, the Jalen Waddles, Devonta Smiths. But if you're looking for an X receiver, Jamar Chase, I think is the best in the class at that. And I think it's harder to find an X receiver than some of these other positions uh, within wide receiver, slot receiver, just one dimensional deep threats. I think Jamar Chase has the biggest profile just to be that every single situation winner. And he's kind of old school in the way that like, he's not like an absolute burner. He's not like a Julio Jones level prospect. I'll say that. But he's so physical for being like an average size guy. And he's I think he's plenty of athletic enough to be a true alpha receiver. So I think he'll go in the top 10. Um, I think there's definitely reasons why you'd want to rank him number one in fantasy drafts among this class. And yeah, I don't really see a single weakness to his game. I don't think that he's on a Julio Jones level prospect, but I don't think that there's any really weakness. And I think it'll be an alpha X receiver like right away. On top of the things we've already talked about, the other thing I'd say is we've seen him rip up high-level uh, NFL draft prospects at cornerback one-on-one. We saw him rip up A.J. Terrell 
Um, we saw him just absolutely annihilate Trevon Diggs, and we've seen it with more with uh, with other kids. Really, the only strangely, w- one of the guys that gave him uh, trouble was uh, Cam Dantzler, uh, one of the very few guys that gave him any trouble at all. He he basically just annihilated a procession of cover corners in in the SEC. So it's good to see a kid. If you are going to have to have a kid come in where you've you've really only seen you know that one season of dominance at, at 19 years old, but during that season it was truly dominant Bolitnikov winning season in the most dominant offense we've ever seen in college football when he was playing next to the guy who just tore up the NFL um, and we saw him tear up multiple NFL cornerbacks that's why you know how he can mitigate some of these other questions on on his eval I think well this past season the aforementioned Devonta Smith had production that on paper looks pretty similar to Jamar Chase's 2019 season Smith put up 1,856 receiving yards with 23 touchdown catches. But Thor, as we've discussed on past episodes, it's a different story with these two receivers. What's your scouting report on Smith and what's his potential path to big numbers at the NFL level? Well, Smith, he's just so smooth. He's just, he's silky smooth. He's just so natural. He's able to mitigate a lot of the nitpicks against him because of the smoothness and also because of um, some quirkiness of his dimensions. I think he's able to mitigate a lack of of deep speed. You'll hear about that um, with um, really, really good burst and a really good feel for um, moving through space. Um, he, he just has sort of an intuitive sense for sort of slicing through space, the way to turn after he gets the ball, you know, converting him from receiver to runner, et cetera. Um, he's able to mitigate his sort of lack of size. You, you hear a lot of uh, people talking about his frame and he is skinny. Yes, he, he's real skinny. But if you look at his pictures, um, you'll see that his, his hands, you know, started to get down to his, his knees. You know, he just sort of looks stretched out. He uh, measured into the, the senior ball, 78 and a half inch wingspan on a six foot one receiver. Um, that wingspan was was up there with any of the both the receivers and the tight ends. I, th- I think there might have been one, maybe two tight ends that, that had a longer wingspan than that. All of which is to say, yes, he has an awesome catch rate. He has, you know, and he, he has great ball skills. Yes, but it's deceiving, and it's deceiving to uh, the guys he's against as well because his catch radius is more like a guy who's closer to six four, six five, and he catches every ball within it. You know, it's like the Indian God with his hands, you know, like uh, around anything you put the ball anywhere in that cylinder, it's going to be caught um, and it's going to be caught with very well time and, you know, very good timing as well. Like he's one of those guys where um, like Devonta Adams is like this. There's a couple guys in the NFL like this where they can wait until the last split second to put their hands up um, just to get one other advantage on the cornerback. Right. To like not give him that tell that the ball's coming in, you know, a, a little bit sooner. He's one of those guys that can, that can do something like that. So he's just able to mitigate a, a lot of things, the, the sizing with the wingspan, um, the feel and the burst uh, sort of mitigating the lack of long speed. You know, he's never going to be able to get bigger, you know, in terms of his his frame. You know, he came into college, I think, 157 pounds. And I think right now he's 175, which, you know, he had to work hard to get there. You know, I, I don't know if he's going to get much over 180 ever. So, you know, that, I mean, that's just the fact. You're not getting much bigger. The way that that manifests is more like the one kind of player that gives him trouble are uh, physical press corners and he didn't have to face many of them at Alabama you just wouldn't play Alabama that way you wouldn't put you know outside press corners um, up, up on those two outside guys you wouldn't chance at um, he, he didn't have to face much of that especially you wouldn't do it against Devonta so um, he didn't have to face that a ton in college um, you do note that um, that's sort of the one way to deprive him of some of these ancillary powers of him to zap him of it um, is with contact you know at the line of scrimmage and then you know within the the five-yard window 
he can beat even fast corners because of his feet and because of his movement and because he's clever and everything like that. But the physical guys, um, like I said, they they can just zap him a little bit because he does. He's not fortified enough. He he his momentum can get stopped, and then he has to sort of restart himself. But you know, outside of that, um, he's just a fabulous prospect. Again, he's going to catch everything that you put around him. Obviously, he's coming off of just a transcendent season, um, and I think he's a little bit better in in some things than you know. Again, than people give him credit for. Downfield catching is one of them. Contested catches, he was just as good as Jamar Chase the last couple of years. And again, like I, I think one thing that speaks to that is you're talking about a six one receiver whose wingspan is is closer to six four six five, and he catches everything that you put within it. So it's people that just look at his frame; they wouldn't think that he's a guy who's going to be able to go down and you know, downfield and, and catch balls in 50, 50 situations, et cetera, go up and get it high point it, but he absolutely can. So I, another very good prospect and, and he and, and Jamar are very close to each other, but they're, they're very different as Hayden mentioned before, as is Waddle. Yeah. Devonta Smith, 99th percentile uh, prospect in my models. And he had 99th percentile yards per team pass attempt. He had the most PPR points per game in my database of a, any FBS receiver in their final season. So like, we're talking about like, some of the most elite production you've ever seen. And I think that's some of the knocks against him about the size. I think there's ways to get around that in the NFL. You can line him off uh, off the line of scrimmage. He, I think he's going to be one of these guys that's going to beat every single zone coverage. He's just so crafty, so experienced. And yeah, I would draft him somewhere around the top 10 picks. I don't think that he's like the biggest no-brainer uh, top five wide receiver selection ever, but I think that he can be a number one target in offense. I think that he compares similarly to Justin Jefferson, who also had some of these same concerns, slight frame. He was winning in the slot and how much is this game going to actually translate? But when you're, when you're putting up these numbers in the sec, like, come on, you gotta give, you gotta cut him a break here. I don't think that it's going to be too big of a factor for him. So I think somebody's going to draft him inside the top 10, top 12, top 15. I would do. It feels a little bit like, I believe on some of our past episodes, Pat Darty's talked about we started looking for reasons to doubt the Chiefs or reasons to kind of think the Chiefs maybe are vulnerable. It almost feels like the same thing with Devontae Smith, where we're kind of looking for reasons to think maybe he's not going to be a stud, where maybe the prevailing wisdom is he just is going to be based on what you guys are saying. And we've been spoiled so far in this episode by 99th percentile prospects. Let's see where we land with Devontae Smith's teammate, Jalen Waddell. He was averaging nearly 140 receiving yards through his first four games before an ankle injury derailed his season. How much does that ankle injury factor into your evaluation of him, Thor? And overall, what do you like about this guy as a prospect? It does a little bit. Um, you know, just in terms of like he he has a a, a slighter frame. So, you know, durability is always, you know, just it, it is going to be something that you think about. And for me, the bigger thing is I think, you know, if he would have played an entire season, uh, for me, he would have had a better shot to usurp the top two guys. Whereas for me now, he's probably going to be wide receiver three because there's still some questions I have about him just because he wasn't able to play. And Waddle came back at the end in, in, in the playoff, even though he was uh, limping around and people on Twitter were saying, why the, why the hell is Jalen Waddle playing in this game? He shouldn't be playing. I think it speaks to his heart, you know, and I think that that, you know, should be mentioned, you know, for, you know, smaller players, people are going to nitpick and, you know, talk, talk about durability, et cetera. But what I really like about him is like, you know, in last class, you had the Alabama sends. It's hilarious how many, you know, they send multiple first round receivers into the draft every single year. It's hilarious. Um, but last year it was, you know, Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs. And with Judy, you were talking about like, you know, twitch um, and burst. And with um, uh, rugs, you were talking about just explosive long speed, you know, just crazy long speed. And with Waddle, you see these concepts come together in one player, right? Like he's, he's super uh, twitchy. He moves really well. Um, and he also just has ludicrous speed. 
the reason that he doesn't jump, you know, again, for me over Chase or Smith is because I would have liked to see him um, over a full year, you know, getting more like uh, Devonta Smith type uh, targets. You know, Devonta Smith ended up um, very much benefiting from Jalen Waddell's injury because then, you know, it was just sort of uh, Devonta and Najee and then John Mechie was a very much a secondary guy and Mac Jones doesn't run. And so you were just funneling the ball to two guys, basically every single possession. Um, it would have been nice to see Waddell if, if he could have worked on his routes, which that's the thing you want to, you want to see with him because he has the movement to be better um, at route running in a way that Henry Ruggs didn't because Henry Ruggs is more of the North South type explosive. So I think, I, I think Waddle can become a better uh, route runner and, you know, and that's what I want to see. But when you're talking about guys that can meld both that four, three speed with ludicrous movement, you know, ludicrous movement, even at high speeds, very exciting uh, prospects because you don't, there's just not a lot of guys that exist like that. I think he's clearly the best slot receiver in the class. And I think that he'll be one of the best slot receivers in the NFL. Just the way, I mean, obviously he's so fast, but he was, I think he's more physical than some people are giving credit for. Like, I hate comparing anybody to Tyreek Hill at all, but like when Tyreek Hill has the ball, like yes, he's small, but like he is like pretty stocky and he's like hard to to bring down one on one. Not just because he's laterally quick, just because he's so strong. I think that Jalen Waddle possesses some of that, and then his ball tracking skills from the slot, I mean, are some of the most outrageous catches you'll ever see. And it's so hard for some of these guys that are running four three to like over their shoulder catch the ball in traffic and Jalen Waddle showed that off plenty. So another one of these guys who's going to test really well in my models on the tape. And I think that he deserves to be in like the top 12, top 15 overall discussion again. And I think that he's going to be the biggest, best projected slot receiver in the class. So if you're one of these teams that you already have an X receiver, but you're looking for that slot type in the top 10, I think that Jalen Waddle makes a lot of sense there. Thor, you said ludicrous speed a minute ago. Was that an intentional Spaceballs reference? Or <laughs> <laughs> I love Hayden, that movie. Hayden, Spaceballs, you've seen it? I do. I do know Spaceballs. I haven't watched wow. a single Star Wars, but I have seen Spaceballs multiple times. Oh, wow. Okay. That's, I'm fine with that, actually. I'm fine with that take. Spaceballs actually holds up really well. I've seen it, it in does. the last couple of years. <laughs> Shout out to Rick Moranis, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. Just why not? Yeah. <laughs> Thor, a player in your neck of the woods, Rashad Bateman, opted out after five games this season, averaging at the time just under 100 receiving yards a game. What stands out to you about Bateman as a player prospect? Well, first off, I want to say that uh, this past season, I think um, pe- people need to watch his 2019 tape more than his 2020 tape. The, the Gophers were um, they were train wrecks in, in 2020, and the way that Bateman was used was um, – it doesn't speak well to the coaching staff. I'll put it that way. It, it speaks to an intractability of their philosophy on offense, which is they like to have who they perceive to be their best receiver, the receiver that's going to get the most targets in their offense. They want him playing the slot, just the way that you know flex offense works. And so Bateman, the season before, had led – uh, in 2019, you know, we I just talked about how good Jamar Chase's season was. Bateman not only had an awesome, not, not quite as awesome, but he had an awesome season outside in 2019, also led the country in yards per route run. Um, and so, he, you know, and was doing, I mean, really good stuff. Because th- the best thing about Bateman, and in response to your question, awesome getting off the line of scrimmage. He has really, really good feet um, for a wide receiver is more on the physical end of the spectrum. He has really sweet feet. He used to play basketball and it's like, you know, he's crossing kids over. So it's, it's really hard for cornerbacks to stop him if they're pressing him really, really difficult. Cause again, he's strong, but he also has just awesome, awesome feet. And then he's a, 
one of the class's best route runners. Um, his package of routes is ridiculous. He's always shaking people or the cornerback is turning the wrong way or getting his head the wrong way. Or he just has a way about him where the, he always has the cornerbacks off kilter. Um, they're always on their rocker. Like uh, another thing Bateman's really good at, it's throttling down on a button hook. And, you know, the cornerback will just get, you know, just get skidding down the field trying to stop with him. Um, or, you know, the footwork or the head movement, um, the cornerback will be, you know, his head will be going left and right and he'll be all confused about where it's going. So Bateman's just really good at getting himself open. He's also awesome in contested situations. So even if, if he doesn't create the separation, he has very, very, very good hands. Um, his his catalog of, of highlight catches might be the best in the class. Um, he, he has one handed catches where he's running full speed and pluck it out of the air, keep running ludicrous catches so yeah i mean you know th- there's a lot of different stuff there the the issue with him is it's a lack of elite traits essentially right like he's not going to run a four three you know his three cone time isn't going to blow anyone's you know ha- well he reported that he ran a four three I, I i'm sorry rashad you you ran a, a four three at an exos i'm sorry but when we have people that can verify your time i i don't think you're going to run on the four three i'm sorry so that, and then, you know, the movement stuff, but, you know, again, some of that stuff to me is overblown because I think that he's a good athlete, uh, just not a great athlete. It's, it's sort of in the Jamar Chase kind of mold where it becomes a nitpick because it's like, well, yeah, he's not, you know, Jalen Waddle or, you know, Henry Ruggs, but, you know, they're still good athletes. So I, I honestly, I think he's a good player and I think he's underrated. And I think, you know, furthermore, he showed he can dominate outside and he is an outside receiver. He's an, he's an X receiver. He's going to be an X receiver in the NFL, but he also showed that he can play in the slot in 2020. But again, um, miscast there shouldn't have been there. Um, you're wasting some of his talents by putting him there because he's a ludicrous route runner. So, I mean, that's on PJ Fleck. So I, I just wanted to make that point, but um, Rashad Bateman's an awesome prospect. 92nd percentile. Uh, I think he should be a first round draft pick. He's kind of, uh, he's not as like physically gifted as like Allen Robinson, but kind of wins like similar routes and he's going to play in like the same exact position. I think that he's going to be, he's so crafty and he's got good hands and he's physical enough where I, even if he's not the craziest athlete, I think he can still be a uh, number one receiver in the NFL. Uh, maybe like Cortland Sutton level type of guy where he's not going to be the craziest player in the world, but I think that he can be, a starting X receiver and his production was awesome next to Tyler Johnson, who was also pretty underrated too. So um, I think ultimately he's going to be like a, a fringe round one draft pick. I wouldn't be surprised if some people were way higher or way lower on Rashad Bateman than others. Um, just because like that, the 2020 tape wasn't as good, but I think the 2019 tape, like you said, Thor, when he was playing the position that we actually project him to, he looks pretty good there. And I think that just, he he's so crafty. I think he's going to be one of the, the players that like quarterbacks are just going to really trust him. And I think that speaks uh, volume. I think that matters. I mean, it, it matters a lot for receivers. Like not every single receiver has to be the craziest athlete. So um, I think Rashad Bateman probably profiles as a number one target for an offense. I don't think that he's going to be like an elite player, but I would still take him like in the back half of the uh, first round. Felt a little bit at times last season like we were being spoiled by the production of rookie wide receivers. It seems like the upcoming season has potential to match that or potentially be even better. Just hearing you guys talk about this first handful of names as we continue with Florida's Kadarius Tony. He had a total of three touchdowns through his first three seasons. He broke out with 11 touchdowns as a senior. So I want to ask you, Thor, what contributed to that? big breakout and what makes Tony an intriguing prospect to you? Well, the, the biggest thing is, was circumstance. I mean, to me, um, you know, I, th- I think some people would say, you know, latent talent that finally bloomed. I would say circumstance. Uh, he was finally playing for a good coach, Dan Mullen, you know, Trask played solid, but it was more getting to play next to Pitts in that uh, Dan Mullen type offense. And 
Tony is a guy, to be honest with you, from an NFL draft perspective, he, he scares the uh, the poop out of me, I guess you'd say. Um, players like this, uh, they're like, they have the sex appeal going into the draft. And then, you know, it's, these guys tend to always disappoint. I, I feel, um, because they're, they're so tied to their circumstance. Tony's a player who needs to, uh, obviously he wins in space and he, but he, he needs to be in space. Like he didn't drop many balls, uh, during his career. Um, but then again, he didn't get many balls thrown to him until, uh, last season, and he's never in contested situations. And the reason he's not in contested situations is because you don't want him running, uh, you know, the real routes. You just, you know, you put him in these sort of gadgety situations where you can just get him into space. You're just scheming him into space so you can get him the ball where he essentially turns into a kick returner. Like PFF comps him to Dante Hall, which I, I thought was really funny. But like that's the way he plays offensive football. He's just looking for, you know, space. And then he could just sort of weave around his, his start stop is ludicrous, which is one thing that reminds you of, of Dante law. And then in terms of like, you know, his flexibility, his evasion, you know, and his quickness in, in claustrophobic quarters, it's all just like high, high end stuff. But I'm concerned about, you know, him fitting into like a real offense. Like I'm, I'm concerned with a lot of players uh, like this. Can they play, you know, team football, can they, you know, just as a slot receiver, can he just, you know, run regular routes? Can he, you know, beat guys and, you know, just do normal things? You know, is it always, or is he always going to have to be a guy that gets slotted into, or I'm sorry, schemed into all of his production? To me, those guys aren't as exciting. And that's, I, I think like Kadarius Tony's evaluation, I think it sort of sits on that precipice. And it's sort of scary that, you know, the couple of seasons before that, he he didn't do a lot until the circumstance got really good. And then he blew up again. Players like that concern me a lot. But what doesn't about him is with the ball in his hands, he's electric. He has a magical quality to him with the ball in his hands. So, you know, you do have to weigh that as well. But there are, are scary elements of his um, evaluation for sure. And I'm going to have like I see people around the industry have them, you know, top four type top five receivers. That, that's not going to be me. Um, I'm, I'm going to have him outside of the top uh, five because of those concerns I have. I think he's going to be the most debated wide receiver prospect of the class. Sure. Um, the film guys love him. The analytics community hates him. I'm kind of in between. And the reason why, like, obviously, like with any prospect, you want early career production. That is the most predictive thing there is. Kadarius Tony didn't have that. I think that there is some context things that kind of play into that where I'm not going to like completely call him a bust. Like uh, a lot of people in the analytics community, he was a, a quarterback in high school. He battled uh, shoulder injuries two seasons in uh, in 2017 and in 2019. And last year, Florida had three wide receivers get drafted, and the fourth one was a UDFA guy. So with Tony, he was supposed to be, or he is a slot receiver. And there was a couple of guys on Florida's team that were like established good slot receivers. So I understand that he wasn't seeing the playing time. That is a red flag though. And he wasn't like crazy productive either. Like he had very good production last year, but it wasn't like unheard of production. So I wouldn't be taking him in the first round um, if I was calling the shots. But he came in as an 84th percentile prospect, which puts him like a, a round two pick. And I think that's that's fair. I like like Thor said, I think he is going to be the guy that you have to kind of scheme touches for. He is so electric that that very easily could work. Um, I don't really see him as being the number one target in an offense. But once again, when you're dealing with power five players that were productive eventually that have all the athleticism, there obviously is a ceiling to chase. So I understand why some people would have him that high. I'm more with Thor. I think he's more of a round two two guy. I don't want to completely dismiss him though. So um, I think there's some context clues that why he wasn't playing early on. I, I still have to ding him some. So I think like a, a round two evaluation seems fair. 
We have one more LSU receiver to discuss. That would be Terrace Marshall Jr., who found Pater 10 times this season in the absence, of course, of Jamar Chase. What do you like about this guy, Thor? Well, pedigree. He was a consensus five-star recruit. was near the top of his class. Tremendous frame. You know, he sort of built like a baby Julio Jones. Sort of, We brought up Julio Jones before, so he sort of has that frame, reminds me of it. And then long speed legit long speed and then in conjunction with that and of course the the catch radius uh that that comes from all that very very good downfield in contested situations jump ball situation 50 50 boss um very very good um that's the stuff that you like and and he's you know very very young he you know he's one of the the youngest receiving prospects uh in this class and he's also has some production behind him the, the other thing i i suppose is that he's played like some other guys in this class not all of them um but he's played both inside and and outside i i think he's uh, an outside guy at the next level. He's sort of similar to uh, Bateman. You know, he sort of got uh, shoved inside this year by some poor coaching, you know, like schematically it was like, oh, you know, Justin Jefferson's gone and we got to redo this. So let's put Marshall in the slot. I wouldn't have done that personally. I think he's a better fit outside. My concerns for him is he's sort of a one trick pony-ish in that he's really good downfield and you love him in terms of that. Cause you know, when he gets going North South, the speed's really, really good. Like I said, um, and he can go up and get it with anyone. The issue is it, it's his route running, but more specifically, I don't think that he's ever going to be able to change directions with the fluidity that's going to uh, surprise any high level uh, NFL cover man tacticians. So like, you know, just sort of the labored way that he, he changes directions when he's moving um, is always going to sort of play down his ability to run evasive routes, just period. And so like that sort of caps his ceiling. Cause I, I think, um, because of that, he's not going to be, you know, the enormous weapon perhaps over the intermediate sector um, that he otherwise could have been if, you know, if, if he had really good footwork and um, the agility was better. Um, however, um, this is a prospect that, you know, is going to give you at least one thing, which is utility downfield. Um, and he's also a prospect, again, who's young and is coming from a system where they threw the ball all the time, has pedigree behind him. And so, like, for me, he's he's a second round prospect, but an interesting second round prospect. Yeah, I thought you nailed it. When you're talking about five-star recruit, LSU, plenty of production there, inside and outside, plenty big enough, and also going to be 20 years old on draft night. Like, these are the type of players um, that you kind of want to be betting on. And it's, it's kind of like T. Higgins, where, like, there was some concerns, like, oh, I'm not sure if he's, like, the craziest athlete in the world. But, like, these guys are – these are the guys that you want to be betting on. Like, the elite high school guys that were elite producers at the elite programs, like, these are the guys you, you can only drop so far. I didn't see, like, the craziest difference maker in the – in the world on tape, um, but he's got those long arms and he really can pluck the ball from the air. I, I will note that he was probably the the worst effort run blocker I watched. Um, <laughs> it was pretty pathetic. I, I don't think that like truly matters that, that all that much, but it, that did catch my eye. Um, so I'm, I'm with I'm with you, Thor. I think he's a round two guy. I think you can. I'm not sure if he's going to be a big slot or he's going to be an outside guy. I think it's kind of kind of uh, depend on the team fit. Um, but he can kind of do both. I don't think that he's great at either of them, but I think that he's going to be a starter in the league. All right, before we move to AFC South, team needs want to give you guys each a chance. Obviously, we're not going to hit every prospect on this podcast, but another name or two that stood out to you that you want to mention here, kind of a, an honorable mention for you, Hayden. We'll go with you first, then you, Thor. Yeah, so the two um, I want to bring up, we'll start with the round three sleeper that I that I really liked on tape was Diami Brown. Uh, vertical routes, uh, North Carolina, really good production. Kind of reminds me of like Will Fuller without like the high-end speed. Um, he's only going to be 21 early declare thousand yards in back-to-back seasons. 
And I thought that his route running was really crisp on these vertical routes. And he wins the ball in the air plenty. And I think that he can be uh, a number two receiver, kind of like the deep threat of the team. And I think that if he's going to be a mid to late third round pick, I think that he has starting potential. So I really liked what he did. And then the guy that's more exciting is Rondale Moore. And Rondale Moore's, his freshman season was truly outrageous. 1,400 yards, 14 touchdowns as a true freshman. He did that against the fifth hardest strength of schedule in all of college football so he's like super like super crazy athlete he was he was squatting 600 pounds when he weighed 174 pounds as a freshman so um, we're talking about one of the most ridiculous athletes out there he is the classic slot guy that is um he might have to be schemed up some touches uh, i think that he is a little bit more than that but only 10 percent of his targets traveled more than 20 air yards so he's kind of like one of those guys like LaVisca Chanel was kind of the same way where everything he did was within about 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. Does that mean that he can't win downfield in the NFL? I don't know, but you can't project it. Like you're just hoping that the athleticism takes over, but Rondell Moore, um, his athletic profile is awesome. His analytical profile is awesome. And that freshman tape was one of the best tapes I've ever seen. He said some crazy, um, uh, receiving records. I think he had the most receptions of any true freshman in college football history. So um, that's another guy round two. He's going to test outrageously. So I'm going to be high on him too. I'm sorry. Did you say 600 pounds squatting 600 pounds as a 174 pound person is someone who weighs close to that. I think if I tried to squat 600, my body would just explode. Like, like limbs, limbs would just be flying in every direction. <laughs> he, uh, Bruce Feldman has like, like the freaks column and Rondell Moore was like on that a couple times. And there's some pictures on in his Instagram, like the way he looks right now is it is insane. He looks like Saquon Barkley. He's not nearly as tall as Saquon Barkley or he's big, but like his bicep tone. I mean, you gotta, you gotta adjust the rate, uh, the rankings when you see some of this, some of these Instagram posts. So uh, Rondell Moore is going to be like one of my highest graded um, round two guys. I think that he could be one of the best slot receivers in the class. The profile is not perfect because he has some of these injuries. He only played a couple games in each of the last two seasons. So that's why he's not a round one guy. But I think if he did play both of those seasons, he would be in the round one conversation. All right, Thor, hit us with a name or two that's on your mind that we haven't mentioned yet that you want to get in here. I'll echo, echo uh, Rondell Moore. You know, I guess he's fallen to the second round now. I, I think that's ridiculous. Uh, I, <laughs> Rondell Moore is a first round pick all day and all night. Um, if the NFL wants to drop him to the second round, knock yourselves out. But he's a first round pick. For me, I sort of poo-pooed uh, uh, Kadarius Tony. So my sleepers, I, I'm going to have a theme with them, which is instead of picking uh, Kadarius Tony in the first round, um, I would rather pick um, these three guys in second, third, or fourth. The first is Tutu Atwell, you know, as a guy who who could go in the second round. He's a bit smaller than Kadarius Tony, but he gives you 98% of what Kadarius Tony gives you, you know, out, outside of that, um, the explosion, the the athleticism, making plays. And Tutu had more plays made downfield, um, which I think is, you know, again, it's going to be something interesting to watch with Tony if he can make plays more around the field or if it's just going to be a scheme thing always. Um, Dwayne Eskridge from Western Michigan. Um, he, this guy was a huge sleeper, and then he he went to Mobile, and he maybe less so right now, played some cornerback in college, which is weird. He started out at receiver and did fine there, and then they decided to switch him to cornerback for a couple of years, and he had this weird winding journey, and he's finally made it back to slot uh, receiver, which is where he should be playing. And he's a burner. He's a 4-3 speed. Um, you see guys like this every year, the speed guys you know, end up getting moved up in the draft like last year. No one thought that uh, Darnell Mooney, everyone thought he was going to be a UDFA. He ends up going the fifth round. He did really well. Um, these guys are, are seen a little bit above that, um, and I think they're at least going to get drafted um, where 
they're sort of perceived to be, or if not higher, I like Eskridge. Um, the last name I'll say is Jalen Darden from North Texas, and Jalen Darden just ripped it up, you know, for multiple seasons down there. He's only 5'9", 172, so he's around the size of these other guys. Eskridge is 5'9", 185, and Tutu is, is super-duper small. He's like 165 pounds. But anyways, Darden was just awesome, like I said, at North Texas, and he's another guy who's calling card is speed. You know, he's on, on the smaller side, uh, of course, but he's, you know, a slot guy. You're going to get the explosive element there and see if the game translates as he jumps up in competition. Um, but those are three guys that I would suggest at um, lower sticker prices than paying the full lot price for Kadarius Tony. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, we are well into the NFL offseason, but want to remind you that our premium product subscriptions at NBC Sports Edge cover all sports. So right now you can still get access to NBA, NHL, college basketball, and MLB premium products as the baseball draft guide is now available for 10% off any subscription under the promo code good 10 that's good 10 for 10% off. We turn our focus now guys to the AFC South and we're going to go team by team here to look at draft needs for each team quickly. We'll start with the division champion Tennessee Titans. We assume that the core of this offense should look the same with Derrick Henry, AJ Brown, Ryan Tannehill as the centerpieces, but there are some notable free agents on the offensive side of things, including Corey Davis and Jonah Smith. There are also, Hayden, a bunch of issues on the defensive side of things, as we saw manifest itself last season. What should the Titans prioritize in your mind? Well, all of their ancillary receivers are gone. Uh, Corey Davis, Adam Humphreys, John Smith, Anthony, Anthony Ferkser, the, the two tight ends, all of them are free agents. So I, I listed outside receiver as the number one and then uh, tight end as the number two. And like, you got to remember, the Titans use two tight ends. They're one of the 12 personnel teams. So I think that both of those have to be priorities, especially when you're losing the play caller, Arthur Smith, like we're already getting kind of worried about the play calling and you're losing some talent. So I think that I really have to prioritize those two positions. Then the, the last one's for sure. Edge rusher. They tried with Clowney and Vic Beasley. They combined for zero sacks last year between those two. Um, they ended up finishing 31st in adjusted sack rate. They still don't have any uh, high end edge rushers. Um, so they've got, they've got a lot of holes to fill and they're not picking that high up in the draft this year. And there's some coaching turnover. So, um, the Titans really have to hit on these picks. But like like you said, when you have A.J. Brown, you have Derrick Henry, you have Ryan Tannehill, and a, a pretty good offensive line, there's still plenty of wiggle room, but they have to hit on these uh, premium positions. Thor, you're just obviously talking about some of the top receivers. Are, are there any names that you could see as a potential fit for the Titans that are, and a realistic fit at that? What slot are they in, Hayden? I don't have it in front of me. It's like mid-20s. Yeah, so obviously they're going to be outside of the territory of of the top three. That that's clear. The good thing, is, you know, at least as far as looking at the receiver class, we mentioned this and, and you mentioned this while we were talking. Is it's a pretty uh, deep class in in terms of that sort of like uh, last season. Um, so even outside of those top three guys. Rashad Bateman, I, I think would be pretty good there. Those fans might be cringing already because uh, you know, Corey, they, they might see the Corey Davis thing and they but I think Bateman's a better receiver than Davis, even if there's gonna be some natural tying the two together because they, they came from PJ Flack. Rondale Moore is a first round pick to me. Again, you know, I'll say it. They'd probably look at, at Kadarius Tony more, but you know, I mean, e- either way, you're gonna have options there. Um, I don't know if Marshall at that point will have 
um, risen to the point, you know, th that degree. But th there's some guys there at, in, at the end there. Um, I think there could end up being more uh, first round receivers. That, that could certainly be a team that takes one. As far as tight ends, you're in a tough spot there because Pitts is going to be gone. Uh, Freer Muth is, is probably a second round guy. There's no one in between. Um, so you're probably going to have to wait on that one. All right, the Colts also went 11-5 and five this year. They, of course, have their quarterback now in Carson Wentz. How should the Colts use their draft resources, Hayden? Well, their left tackle, Anthony Costanzo, retired. So that's priority number one. Uh, the good news for the Colts is the left guard is maybe the best guard in all of football. So there's a little bit less pressure on this tackle prospect. And I think I haven't studied the, the, the tackles yet, but everything I hear is that the tackle class is pretty good again. So I think the Colts should be fine with finding a left tackle in the draft. Um, the other positions, it's edge rusher. Um, their top three edge rushers in terms of snaps played last year are all free agents. And the Colts don't blitz. They were 31st in blitz rate last year. So you have to put some pressure on, on the quarterback. You can't just sit there and play zone coverage the entire game and get no pressure. So I think that edge rusher is going to be a priority for them. And then the last thing would be outside receiver. I don't think T.Y. Hilton's going to resign. And um, the top two uh, receivers on the team right now, Michael Pittman, and Paris Campbell, they have combined 64 career receptions between the two of them. Um, they're also losing some of their tight ends. So um, Carson Wentz needs some guys to throw the ball to. Um, I think Michael Pittman has a chance to be a number one receiver. I'm not fully banking on that. So I think that um, another second round pick uh, at receiver, if they can't address this in free agency, makes a lot of sense. Thor, the Colts pick 21st overall since this is a receiver-themed show. Is there a name that feels like a match for you there as Hayden was just talking about the Colts potentially needing another receiver to go with Michael Pittman. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's, it's the same sort of group. Cause again, they're going to get boxed out of the the top three. And so it's like, do you, are they going to talk themselves into Kadarius Tony after they already talked themselves into Paris Campbell, Indianapolis fans? I, I hope that doesn't happen. You know, do you take a uh, Rashad Bateman? I'd be fine with them there. I'd be perfectly fine with them there. You know, it's that, that's what it's going to come down to. As far as the other positions Hayden was talking about tackle is a deeper uh, position or is, is, is richer, I should say in first round talent than edges for me, for sure in this class. And I think, you know, you might have five uh, first round tackles or so, and at that 21st slot or whatever, wherever uh, Indianapolis is, you know, you're probably going to be around the fourth tackle or so. So you're talking about names like um, obviously you're not going to be able to get uh, Penny Sewell, but is Rashawn Slater, is he going to be gone by then? You know, he, he has an interesting eval where people are trying to decide, is he a tackle? Is he a guard? Some some people even think Rashawn Slater is a center. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see where people come down on that. How far does he fall, et cetera? Christian Darisau is a guy that I like a ton from Virginia Tech. He's just a mauler in the run game. Uh, be around there Jalen Mayfield there's just a lot of tackles in Tevin Jenkins is another one and, and a guy who's rising right now I don't think Leatherwood's gonna be you know is is, is in that same group but uh, I think I just listed off five names and certainly there's going to be at least one of those guys available in, in the Colts slot so I mean yeah whether you want to get a compliment for Pittman or whether you want to go offensive tackle I, I probably wouldn't go edge there even if it's a a need because I just don't think you know I, I think Rousseau's going to be gone by then if you wanted to take a guy there it's either going to be a tweener kind of a guy or a project I, I think you know you're probably going to end up reaching a little bit um so I'd, I'd probably look at the other two positions if i was a betting guy i would be um and i am uh i would be looking at <laughs> i was like tackle. yeah what are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> I, I think i think offensive tackle is probably the most likely pick here um and i'm looking at the tackle class for in free agency and um there's some big names out there but i think those guys are going to be going back to their teams i'm not sure if there's going to be the the tackle that they're looking for long term so i, I would guess it's going to be offensive tackle um i think that 
Michael Pittman and Paris Campbell, I mean, you already spent, I think both of them were second round picks. I think that another day uh, two pick would make more sense. I also think that they should just draft or they should just find a veteran because you got to teach these young kids up. So I think that they would go find a receiver in free agency, go find a tackle in the draft, especially if the class is deep. It's funny that you hear people say, if I was a betting guy, but you don't hear like, I'm a betting guy. And (laughs) you don't usually start that way. (laughs) All right. The Houston Texans are a wild card here in probably the worst way imaginable, Hayden. (laughs) We don't know if Deshaun Watson will be their quarterback. We know Will Fuller's a free agent. We know J.J. Watt and Duke Johnson are gone. We know there's a mess of a roster. We also know they don't have a first or a second round pick, I believe. So, what can the Texans do? I mean, what do you think they should do? What can they even accomplish in this draft? Should they even try to accomplish it? Yeah, Thor, how how deep is this class in, in ownership? Uh, I, haven't, <laughs> I haven't gotten to my ownership rankings yet, but yeah, I mean, it's, it starts from there. They're, they're not going to be able to fix this. I would say the one thing is if they trade Deshaun Watson, they're, they're obviously going to get plenty of picks this year, and that's how they, they kind of fill this. We don't know what that's going to be. Um, just in terms of team needs, Ed, edge rusher is the, the primary one. Uh, their best edge rusher is Whitney Merciless. He's going to be 31. The Texans with J.J. Watt last year were, were dead last in adjusted sack rate on defense. Uh, their defensive tackle situation is just as bad. They've tried with a couple second-rounders, Ross uh, Blacklock, Brandon Dunn. They have a fifth-rounder, Charles They All those guys are backup-level guys. The Texans got ran on every single week last year. Um, they were 31st in rushing EPA, and like you were just lining up uh, whatever running back was playing against the Texans in, in DFS last year. Um, I mean, some of those like David Montgomery weeks and uh, Jonathan Taylor, some of those weeks were just like uh, Texans are up. Like here comes 150 yards and multiple touchdowns. Um, the other thing would be uh, offensive guard. I don't think that Zach Fulton's he's in the last year of his contract. I don't think that he's going to be a deep part of their, their future and 2019 second rounder, Max Sharping, he's been kind of a replacement level guy. So whether it's Deshaun Watson, whether it's Sam Darnold, whether it's a, Justin Fields or whoever that the Texans are going to be drawn out there, uh, they have to fix this interior offensive line because they can't run the ball either. So, I mean, they have a, a bunch of team needs. Number one team need is definitely ownership. After, after that, then you have to figure the rest out. So um, that's where the Texans are at. Thor, what 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 can be done here? I know oh, you're probably trying to dodge. You're probably trying to avoid this one, but yeah, what what can you do? Fix. I'm the like, text. is there anyone else in this this chat? <laughs> um, I I just shout out to the Texans. And shout out to Mr. Easterby. Um, after the uh, the the lot, and uh, you know he goes to the the Cardinals. They end up the Cardinals essentially get Hopkins and and Watt, and are able to to dump David Johnson's contract all for a second round pick. And meanwhile, the Texans gave up two firsts and a second for Laramie Tunsil. So you wonder what, how is this team such an absolute effing nightmare train wreck? And their first pick isn't until 67th in the draft and they just have no hope whatsoever. That's why. Um, Because they give assets away for free or for just cut rate uh, discounts for no reason. Um, And then they overpay and then they, you know, tick off their other franchise players that they force to stay against their will. As as far as like how we go about fixing it, it's sort of like, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's either like I I don't have an answer for that or else it's like, you know, Charlie Day on the the, the thing. It it always funny, you know, like because there's a lot. A lot needs to happen. Um, I think I would almost advocate for them to you know, try to, as Hayden was mentioning, try to fix all the the mistakes that you've compounded um, to this point by potentially making the biggest one yet and trading uh, Deshaun Watson because he doesn't have the roster around him to contend um, in what is going to be the rem- remainder of his prime. They have too many holes. 
it, like it's it sucks, but that's just what the case is. So you might as well just steer into being the um, you know flaming dumpster fire that you've turned yourself into. Trade Watson, try to recoup um, some of these these picks, and then you know go from there. Um, and you know you're going to stink for a couple years, and you you know get a couple more good prospects, etc. I, I mean, I don't know what position you want to start with, Hayden. Are we starting with? I think we can end the conversation with the draft picks. I don't know any. I don't know any good seventy uh, sixth overall uh, draft picks off the top top of my head. I will. I will say one thing. Just talk about the Texans and like potential landing spots. I think that the the teams, the top two teams that make the most sense would be the Jets number one because they have the most draft capital. It, just beyond this year too, like yes, they hold the number two pick and that is very valuable because you got to pick which Don Trevor Lawrence quarterback you want. They also have two first rounders next year because that Jamal Adams trade, and they have some other guys that like Sam Darnold wants to be a part of the package you have some of those other guys to trade so i think the jets make the most sense i think the panthers are going to be super aggressive if he becomes available i would say the dolphins as well the problem with the dolphins is if you're the texans could you trade for the pick that you just traded away to get your tackle for like the shot yes. like you're like really showing your ass by doing this and i'm not sure if the texans really funny. are willing to do that so That's i think so that funny. i would rank the dolphins below that but i think that they're actually going to probably get to keep two around so if i was doing the pecking order i think it, the jets and the panthers are in the first tier and then you get to the rest of the two teams just because they're the most aggressive and they have the most draft capital that that combination so i think it's gonna be the jets and the panthers then you kind of get to everybody else wouldn't that be the most texans thing ever though hayden i feel like now that you said that <laughs> i'm just assuming that's going to happen that just seems beyond realistic now that you brought it up that would be it would be one of the m- most like I mean, you would just get absolutely roasted. So um, maybe maybe they just a sucker for that. Uh, but yeah, th- I, I truly do think that is a factor into this equation. It's like you can't trade for the picks that you just traded away and you're trading away to Sean Watson. So I think that's too much even for the Texans. So I think if I was if I was a betting man, which I am, it would be on the <laughs> Jets. Um, you get that at plus eight, 800 right now. It's going to be the name of your memoir, title of your memoir, if I was a betting man, which I am. <laughs> All right, it's weird for a team that had three less wins than the Texans to have such a sunnier outlook, but that is the case with the team that sits at the top of the draft, the Jacksonville Jaguars, coming off a 1-15 in season. Hayden, it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that Trevor Lawrence is going to be Urban Meyer's quarterback this season. Beyond that, what does Jacksonville need to focus on? Uh, left tackle, and they have Cam Robinson, and they can franchise tag him. They could sign him to a long-term uh, long term deal. The Jaguars have plenty of money. Money is not the issue. It's just the evaluation on Cam Robinson. How do you treat somebody that's pretty good, not exceptional, um, still young enough you can see him taking another step with, with better coaching? Um, so that, that's the first uh, decision they have to make. And obviously, like you can't just go into the season with uh, without a, a strong left tackle with, with Trevor Lawrence. You want to, you want to sure up that position. You don't want to have a Joe Burrow part two coming onto your hands. And then the other one is definitely, I would say corner and the Jaguars would play a lot of man coverage. And last year they got shredded doing that. And outside of CJ Henderson, they don't have any dudes. So, I mean, they brought in the Baltimore DC and Baltimore is the same way. They're going to bump and run. They're going to be super aggressive and you can't have bad, corners if you don't have an elite pass rush and try to play that that way and that's what happened last year and the jaguars were just getting boat raced down the field so i think that corner would be the top need on defense i I do think that they have to prioritize offensive tackle um when you're getting uh trevor lawrence but they have so much money in free agency i think by the time we get around to doing mock drafts i think that this team needs for the jaguars can be uh, kind of flipped up upside down 
Well, Thor, after that first pick, the Jaguars' next pick at 25, based on what Hayden just said, any names that make sense there? Yeah, I think his point's well taken that there's a lot of moving pieces up till then. Not only that, one cool thing that Jacksonville has, you know, in, in addition to their, their the next home with Trevor Lawrence, is not just that uh, 25th pick. In addition, they have uh, two first-rounders. They have two second-rounders. I think they have four picks within the top uh, 45. And then they also have the top pick in the third round, of course. So you have, you know, what, five picks in the top uh, 65? I Look, mom, I can do math um, if I was a betting man. Um, so, yeah, I mean, y- you have a lot of different options, you know, both if they want to, you know, and, and again, this goes back to Hayden's point of like, you know, how exactly are the free agent pieces going to fit? How many of the holes can you uh, fill? Because that's going to depend on um, once you're in the draft, they have so much ammo that theoretically, you know, for instance, you know, speaking to the left tackle, speaking to that need, Urban Meyer is obviously a very aggressive guy. This is going to be his first draft. He's going to be bouncing up and down on his chair. You know, it's going to whatever I could see him uh, perhaps wanting to move up for one of these tackles. I could see Urban Meyer falling in love with one of these kids like Rashawn Slater, you know, has played really close to him. You know, Urban Meyer, they called like I, you know, Urban Meyer coached against uh, Slater, I believe, in college. If that was a guy that they liked or, you know, whoever it turned out to be, you would again, you have the ammo because of all the picks that they have. Or is it a thing where they don't? devote as much uh you know future money so they can't get as as many good guys because they want to keep that cap room open and so you you're going to devote um you you, you want to stay in your spots because you want a bigger rookie class you're not going to trade up as much a lot of different things could go on there but you know like we mentioned um you know with with the offensive tackle class in particular i think teams that are sitting in the mid to late first round um that are sort of earmarking that pick for a tackle i think they're in a good spot um, because of how deep this tackle class is like some classes aren't like that with offensive line like you, you know you sort of struggle um, after the top couple guys there's five or six uh, tackles in this class that I would really like to have you know that can come in and start day one and have potential all pro uh, ability so I, I think you know Jacksonville is in a really good spot and again it's like a choose your own adventure for them because they just have so much cap room uh, so many different uh, draft assets and they can just sort of you know go forward right now and see which you know which way the wind blows them Hayden, Choose Your Own Adventure was a series of books in the 1980s where you could decide your own adventure by going to like jump to page 40 if you want to go into the cave, that kind of thing. Is this legitimately breaking news for you? You knew what that you know what that is, right? Literally never heard of it. Really? No, oh, dude, I'm before in. video I'm games, in. the Choose Your Own Adventure books were just fabulous. You get them at the book fair. I knew uh, what Mr. Mr. Underpants or something like that. And you like flip the pages back and forth. I was like the, the book reading I did in the, in the late 90s. Did you read any? Did you, R.L. Stein goosebumps. I know what those are. I didn't read them all. I, I didn't do too much reading, unfortunately. It's kind of the goosebumps uh, are legit. You're gonna have to go back. Yeah, catch well, up on that. If you didn't do much reading and you weren't alive in the '80s, you definitely did not know "Choose Your Own Adventure." No, that's, that's a double whammy right there. <laughs> no. Yeah. All right, that's gonna do it for us. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you might listen, guys. Anything to promote on NBC Sports Edge before we get out of here? We'll start with you, Thor. Hit it. I uh, just put out my running back rankings. Uh, I ranked the top 30. Um, next up is going to be wide receivers uh, coming in early next week. So uh, check those out. Hey. Yeah, he, he goes super in deep on these. Like the guys that we're not hitting, go look at his columns. And I think he's basically going to be trailing his columns by this podcast. So whoever you didn't hear a take from, from Thor, go read his columns. Uh, I'm still grinding through the offseason previews. We got about mm, eight or so left before free agency. I go into more de- in depth with like the team needs. I, I looked at like a lot of like the scheme stuff. That was kind of one thing. Uh, priority for me is like what schemes each coach 
runs and like actually understand all that stuff. So I, I went in depth with all that stuff. So off season previews, Thor, Thor's rankings. And yeah, that's about it. All right. You can follow them on Twitter at Thor at Hayden winks. The three of us will be here around this time every week leading up to the draft to talk NFL draft. Thanks to all of you for listening. Thank you, Hayden and Thor. We will talk to you soon. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.